professors here at Stonebrook. Um, and let me explain that, by the way. We, you know, we always ask you to text in questions that you have. One of the questions was, why do you always say you're one of the pastors at Stonebrook? You're the pastor at Stonebrook. Why don't you say that? Well, because it's not true. <laughs> That's why. Um, one of the things that Jesus taught, and by the way, let me just announce this before. Today's sermon will be brought to you by ADHD. The first service, I was just all over the place. That's just what has hit me today. I'm sorry. I'm just, I'm just everywhere. But that's okay. Do you guys like summer, by the way? Here, I'm going to be ADHD with my ADHD. How many of you like summer? You like the, the season of summer? Is it like your favorite? How many of it's your favorite season? Isn't that amazing? You get to run around almost naked, hang out by the water. It's just what we all dream of. Um, well, well, summer at Stonebrook is a little bit, we try to be a little more relaxed, although, you know, we're so relaxed anyway. But um, like last week, were you here last week at Father's Day? Just absolute crazy service. You know, we're running RC cars around and we're, what else did we do? We had, what was the other game we played? Oh, we're throwing balls in solo cups and we're giving root beers and bacon-wrapped weenies and it's just, you know, it's a crazy time. Well, what happens in summer is we take about, you know, four to six, seven weeks and we just sort of relax. It's, it's a time to, I'll speak a little bit more to Christians um, if you're here and you're not a Christian, it's okay though. You can, uh, you can sort of sit back and relax and maybe just sort of make fun of us and say, well, that's why I don't want to be a Christian because of what you're talking about. But I'll, I'll be talking a little bit more to Christians today. But um, the reason I say I'm one of the pastors is we really are doing our very best to be like Jesus. We think that Jesus is the exact representation of who God is. Jesus came to change the way that we think about God. And one of the things that Jesus said to leaders that he tried to teach was that there's not this hierarchical system in church or in, in any leadership. He said, you, you'll notice in the world that those that are in charge, they sort of lord it over the other people. But Jesus says it's not supposed to be that way among you. That if you want to be great in the kingdom of God, you become the servant of everyone. And we've said from the very beginning here at Stonebrook, just one of the things that we say is that every member is a minister. I am not any more important than anybody else. I, we always talk, tell the guys out in the parking lot, the sermon begins in the parking lot. The parking lot guys are much more important than me because if they tick you off in the parking lot, you're not going to be happy to see me. You're, you know, you're never even going to get to the message. But when you, if you have a good experience there, then they're just as important as I am. And there's a lot of different pastors here. So I am simply one of the pastors. That's why. That's all I have to say about that. But anyway... Um, we're going to take just care of a couple of sort of housekeeping things this morning. First of all, take out your smartphone. Or I guess maybe even if you have a dumb phone, it might work. But if you have a smartphone, take out your smartphone. I want to get you in the habit of doing something. Just sort of help us out. Uh, it's, it's sort of a way that you can multiply your, uh, your effectiveness by even being at Stonebrook. How, how many of you were raised in church? I, I, I ask this all the time. Your church raised, been raised in church? We used to do a weird thing in our church. This church does so many weird things. It was sort of awkward. Have you ever done the thing? They called it visitation or going witnessing. We'd go out and you'd knock on people's doors and, you know, talk to them about Jesus or invite them to the church. Is there anything more awkward that the devil ever came up with? That's just an awful, awful thing. Well, there's a better way to do it, actually. Lots of better ways to do it. But one, one thing that you can do to let hundreds and thousands of people know that you're in church and you think that the church service is going great or you can even put something like, I love this church, it's amazing, but the pastor is really weird, I don't know about that. So what I want you to do is, if you're on your Facebook app, get in your Facebook app, you can do a couple things. You can go up to the right-hand corner and check in at Stonebrook. Hit check in, start typing Stonebrook, it will come up. Or what I'd like us to do, I don't know if this has ever been attempted, go, either go to your camera or take it from your Facebook app I want you to take a selfie right now, okay? Maybe gra grab a couple people around you. And as you're taking a selfie, you'll get other people who are taking selfies in your selfie. And then I'm going to take a selfie of all of you taking a selfie of people taking selfies, okay? And then just post it and just get used to doing that. Every time you come to church, just check in. Say, hey, we're at Stonebrook. It's amazing. Or I hate this place. I can't wait till this message is over. Something like that. Whatever you want it to do. But are you ready? We're going to take a selfie together. One, two, three. Hang on, wait, not yet. 
I've turned my camera around. There you are. Okay, are you ready? Get your selfie in this ready. Does anybody have like a selfie stick on them? We're going to judge you. We're going to judge you right here in church if you do. Okay, ready? One, two, three. Wasn't that breathtakingly exciting? Okay, but check when you get to, when you get to come into uh, church, just get in the habit of checking in. Um, a second thing, the, the security team wanted me to tell you about this. And, first of all, we have a security team. With the recent uh, shooting that happened in Charleston, South Carolina, and, you know, it's, it's happened much more. And, of course, it wasn't, it wasn't a Christian thing going on. That's certainly racially motivated. But the security team, which we have, and if you didn't know we had a security team, then they're doing their job really well. We, you know, we don't want people standing at the door with machine guns or anything. Welcome to, to Stonebrook. We hope you have a wonderful time. Um, but we do have people here that are, that are watching, checking the place out. They are armed. But they wanted me to tell you this, and it's a little awkward, but I thought this, you know, this may come in handy sometime. If, if there would happen to be some sort of event like that, and certainly we pray, certainly we trust God, we believe for his protection. But the Bible says that victory is of the Lord, but you still prepare your horse for battle. So we, you know, we're prepared, we're doing everything that we can do in the natural. But if there ever was an event, a shooter going on or something like that, if everybody jumps up and runs... And that just creates chaos and makes their job harder. They have all kinds of targets now. But if that would ever happen, simply, and we're not going to practice this, unless you want to, it might be fun. If that ever happens, hit the floor. Right where you are, hit the floor. Then it's very obvious who the person is that they need to deal with and just make their job a lot easier. So have you, you've never had an announcement like that in church, have you? It's a very exciting thing. So they wanted me to share that with you. Okay. What we're going to talk about this morning, um, and by the way, if you have questions as we're talking, uh, if it's, it's even better if it's about the subject we're talking about. Sometimes it's not. One of the persons, all the questions in the first service said, what in the world did Mark have for breakfast this morning? <laughs> so that was a little crazy first service. But you can text your question to 415-SB-ROCKS if you have any questions about what we're talking about today. And um, I think it's just good because as, as we continue to grow and as new people come in, uh, it, it's good, especially in the summertime, to just sort of step back and talk a little bit about why we do what we do. And last week in, in the Father's Day service, we, we shared from the story of what we call the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15. And the more and more I read that, uh, there's just so much there, and I, I want to share some, a little different perspective from it today with regard to why we do things like we do at Stonebrook and um, how, how we do things and, and the why behind it. So I'm just going to start out, we'll comment as we go. In Luke chapter 15, verse 1, and my iPad's not working again. Hang on a second. Flying blind. Joe, Joe, are you in the building? Oh, there it is. Okay. It says tax collectors, although, hang on a minute. Okay. Tax collectors and other notorious sinners. What's that next word? Oh, come on. Give me a better than that. Often came to listen to Jesus teach. Jesus had created something new. When he showed up on the scene, suddenly you have people that are not church people. They don't go to the temple on a regular basis. They aren't going to synagogue. These people are notorious sinners. It's the prostitutes. It's the drug dealers. It's those on the outskirts of society. It's those that the religious people, they, they've been to church, and the church people have rejected them. The church people have judged them. The church people have said, you're going to have to clean up your act. You're going to have to change and do certain things if you're going to hang out with us. But here's the standard. Here's the rules. Here's what the Bible says. If you can't do it, you can't be with us. But Jesus comes along, and he, he changes the paradigm of the way that church people think. And suddenly, these people that aren't church guys love to be around Jesus. They, they, they come to hear him speak all the time. Jesus has created a church 
for people that don't like church. He's created a church that unchurched people love to attend. Now, when we started, to, started Stonebrook, we said from the very beginning that that's what we want to do, is we want to create a place, to create a church that unchurched people would love to attend. And uh, as, we'll, as we'll see, that, that's sort of a hard thing to do, but Jesus is saying, and everything that Jesus said, everything that Jesus said, uh, did, he's saying that almost everything that people thought about how to connect with God is wrong. I have to fix my iPad again. Have you ever seen a pastor throw a piece of technology against the wall in church? I'm about to do it. It just won't work. This is going to be interesting. I'm just going to have to ask him what the next slide is. And if, if anybody can find Joe, oh, there it is. Hang on a minute. <laughs> I started. You ever look at your computer and you just want to say, the power of Christ compels you? You know, it's, it's possessed is what it is. I didn't even see that movie. Oh, it doesn't matter. I'm not even going to pay attention to what my thing does anyway. Okay, Jesus is saying everything he said, everything he did, that almost everything that people thought about how to connect with God is wrong. It's, his message was very radical. It was very subversive. It was very revolutionary. That Jesus comes along and says, you know how you think you're supposed to relate with God? Yeah, that's wrong. Because they thought you have to go to a temple, you have to listen to a holy guy, read holy texts, and that's the way that you interacted with God. Well, the people that were the notorious sinners went to that holy place, and they found out, wow, this is really hard. I don't fit in with them. I'm not like them. And the people that were already at the holy place said, yeah, you're not like us. And Jesus comes along, and he's suddenly he's hanging out with these people, and it really, really upsets the religious people. So... Jesus came to do four things. Show us God's love. Save us from sin. Set up God's kingdom. But this fourth one is a biggie. And uh, it's that he came to shut down religion. The way that it had always been done. The way that the Pharisees, the Pharisees were the religious people of the day. The way that the church people thought church was supposed to be done. Jesus comes along and says, no, that's, that's wrong. Jesus says this weird thing where he blends the sacred and the secular. There was a very big distinction in their life. In most people, church people's lives today, in their minds, there's a big distinction. When I go to church, I act this way and I do this way. That's my sacred place. But during the week, I may do this. And it's the thing that we, at Stonebrook, we want to do that from the very beginning. That's why we'll play secular music. That's why we try to act normal. One of the hardest things I had to do when we first started and Christians would come is you can be not weird, okay? Just look at your person, look at the person somewhere close to you and say, you're not that weird. And it's, it, it's something that people who, people who don't go to church and they come to church and they see, just, just think of the things we do. Like later, for the very first time on a Sunday morning, we're going to receive communion, isn't that weird? We're going to eat a little piece of bread and drink a little bit of grape juice. And if you don't go to church, you see that, you're like, what in the world is that? Why are they, and we say, let's stand up and worship. And they're thinking, worship, what do you mean? Are you going to sacrifice an animal? What are you going to do? Oh, you're just going to sing some songs. So why don't you just say we're going to stand up and sing some songs? Why do you have to be all churchy and weird about it? And so that's, that's, what we, that's what we try to do. That's what Jesus did. Jesus, instead of meeting in the temple, said, let's go down by the lake and talk. Let's just meet in somebody's house. Let's walk on this mountain here. Let's just be normal. So this what, that's what's happening with Jesus here. He's actually creating a church, and this is what we have wanted to do from the beginning, that unchurched people would love to attend. A church, we say a church for people who don't, like church. Now, here's the thing about creating a church. And, and the reason we're going over this, like I said, if you're, if you're here and you're for the first time or you haven't been coming very long, it's just to sort of get everybody caught up and focused on the fact that this is how, how we do it. The reason is, this is hard. It's a hard thing to focus on people who are outside of the church. 
because church people are selfish. Church people want to think, want to do things their way. It's really, really hard to constantly, because there's this gravitational pull to where Christian people want to go to church and we want, we want worship a certain way and we want the preaching a certain way and we want to do this, this, and this. And here, here's another thing. When we first started the church, it was just a few weeks in, and I would always tell people, if you have questions you'd like to see me after church, there was this little glass room in the place where we were before. And uh, I would say, if you have questions, you can come talk to me after church. Well, the very first time is a lady named Tracy Boland and Mindy Williams. They both still come here. They came, to, came there and they said they were really mean looking. They looked at me. Like, and they didn't even introduce themselves. They said, what are you going to do to keep this church from becoming like every other church? What are you going to do? And three years into this, that, that question, I'm constantly thinking over that question. How do we keep this church from becoming just like every other church? To where the focus is on insiders. To where the focus is on Christians. And another, another person, Joe, Joe the, plays the guitar over here. He's the band leader. He fixes iPads and he's the service programmer. When he first came, we were meeting. You ever been to the high school and they have the big auditorium there? Well, we weren't there. We were in the foyer. <laughs> We just a little group there. And Joe Bennett came for the first time. He looked like he was mad at the world. He really, really despised church, but absolutely loved Jesus. Had so many bad experiences with Christians and, and church. And we, we find that all the time, that people like Jesus, but they've met too many Jesus followers. <laughs> and they really have a problem. But after several weeks, Joe came, and he wanted to get involved with the music. And um, he said, I sort of held back. I heard you say this thing, that this was a church for people who don't like church, and your focus was on outsiders, and you wanted to create a church that unchurched people would love to attend. Then he said this, and this rings in my mind all the time. He said, but I didn't think you really meant it. And that is what is so, so hard. Jesus shows, and if we ever get to this message, if we ever get to the scriptures, I'll stop blabbing on and get to the scriptures, we'll see that Jesus, it was hard because the religious leaders were constantly pulling him over to be like them. There's this pull, there's this gravitational pull. It's, it's hard. You have to intentionally, for example, I, I've talked to other church leaders and um, they've asked me, I've had other pastors say, what's your secret sauce? In other words, you know, we, we're a relatively new church. We will celebrate our third anniversary of our launch in September. And, you know, summertime numbers are down a little bit, but 500, 550 people in attendance on a weekend. Now, let, let me say something about that. Here, here's the ADHD part of the sermon. I'm just going to jump around everywhere. People don't realize how amazing that is that God has done something here that's unusual. And when people come into our church, they expect because they see that it looks like we have our stuff together, that we actually have our stuff together. But most of us have no idea what we're doing. <laughs> we're very, very young, and things have grown very quickly. For example, one of the biggest churches in the area is Lebanon Family Church in Lebanon. It's a cool church. If you get to where you hate it here, check out Lebanon Family Church. I recommend it. Well, Matt is the pastor there. And if you look on their website, they sort of tell their story. And they tell their story how they started, I think, with six people. And after about three years, they say, you know, God had really blessed. And the church had exploded to almost 100. And now, you know, they have 7, 800, probably, or probably whatever. And you hear that story over and over that it, it takes time. It takes time to develop things. The big, do you know what the biggest church in Missouri is? Anybody know? The largest church? What? James River Assembly in Springfield. I used to go there. They, uh, when they started, it took a couple of years. These two couples started it. And they grew to about 80 in two years, a year and a half maybe. And then they called their current pastor, John, to apply for the job of being pastor. John Lindell didn't start the church. They brought him in. And so in the interview process, John said to them, you know, what do you expect out of me? What, what do you guys expect the church to do over the next little bit here? And they said, well, we expect in four years, we hope to be at 400. 
That's in Springfield with 250,000 people. And of course, now they're the largest church. But John said to them, oh my goodness, that's too big. You got the wrong guy. And of course, they got 10,000 right now. But it takes a while to get all the organizational things done. And one of the hard things is we've had people come in and they get upset with us for whatever because we don't have, you know, we, we weren't able to, we didn't, we didn't notice they were there and send them a card because they were gone for three weeks. But we're just trying to know if we're going to have a place to meet next week. So what we're, we're normally doing, this is like our 10th location. But it, it's hard to do that. It's hard to keep focused. It's, um, but we do mean it. Joe said, I wasn't, I wasn't sure if you meant it. Now, in talking with other pastors, and I, and I would say to them, they say, what's your secret sauce? How, how have you grown so much? Are you, they said, are you that great a preacher? I said, yes, that's it. <laughs> I am an amazing, amazing preacher. People flock. No, that's not it at all. And I don't know that we have a secret sauce. And just like I say to him, this may all blow up next week and everybody goes away. I, I, don't, I don't think that we are, are anything special. But all I can tell you is, we think that the heart of God is reaching those that are lost, as this story, Jesus is about to tell a story about people that are, things that are lost. We believe that's where the heart of God is focused. And we mean it. We will focus on those people. And they will say, well, we mean it too. We, we want to reach the lost. Well, let, let me show you the difference. Let me show you why it's hard. You'll eventually make a Christian mad if you're going. That's what's happening in this story where Jesus is, the Pharisees are upset that he's hanging out with these sinners. For example, we have people that have come to Stonebrook and they want to sing on the stage. Once again, how many of you were raised in church? You that have been raised in church, have you ever been in a church service where there was somebody standing on the platform attempting to sing? Their heart probably loved Jesus. But they were attempting maybe to sing a Sandy Patty song. And about the third time they changed keys, they, could, they were kicking at the notes anymore. And, and you're just, it's awkward. And you are, you're thanking God. Thank you, Lord, my friends didn't come this week. We mean it. If you come here and you want to sing and you can't sing, guess what? You're not going to sing. Now, we can recommend other places. Like, you know, we had a guy come one time, and he wanted to rap. He had a rap song that he'd written, and he, you know, he rapped like in the 80s. I, I can rap like the 80s, but it's not the 80s anymore. You need to sound like Drake if you're going to be on the stage rapping. You know what I'm saying? Because our audience doesn't want to hear your Christian rap song that the Lord gave you that sounds like from the 80s. Okay? And that makes Christians so mad. And they go to other churches. And other churches that told me they meant it too, I've seen on their website, that guy rapping. And they're all happy about it. But people that don't know Jesus that are used to hearing Drake think that you are lame. And they're not going to listen to what you have to say about Jesus. That's harsh, isn't it? We do things that we make decisions all the time that really tick Christians off. It's hard. But I have a friend, his name is Jay Teagues. And uh, he, he has this saying, I don't know if he came up with it, but he says, do hard things. And that's what we're trying to do here at Stonebrook. And that's what Jesus came to do. And that's what this story is about. And hopefully I'm actually going to get to read it this service. Verse 2, this made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. Jesus is about to share with them and try the, his best to change the church people's mind about what is important to God. So Jesus told them this story. In this story, Jesus is about to reveal God's heart. He shows us where God wants us to focus our energy and effort. We didn't come up with that, this idea. We think the church needs to look like Jesus because we think Jesus looks like God. And we believe that if we will hook in with God's heart, that he will draw people to him and, and his kingdom will be expanded. So verse 4, Jesus tells them the story. He said, if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? 
He will, won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go to search for the one? Everybody say one. The one that is what? Now here is one of the worst things that could ever happen to us as a church. And once again, if you're here and you're like the first time or, you know, you just sort of sit back and relax. But I, I, and, and we want you to, to join our evil plan to take over the world. But this is, this is just sort of how we operate. The worst thing that could ever happen in my mind, and this is where I'm strange as a pastor. Well, there's lots of ways I'm strange as a pastor. But I'm not interested in having a big church. The worst thing that could ever happen to us is we get satisfied, especially, this is something that I, if I worry about anything, I worry about this. I talk to God about it all the time. Help me figure out this. When we get our new building done, especially, because just like, the, I mean, we're not even three years old. 900 people showed up here for Easter. Are you kidding me? What in the world are we going to do with 900 people? Our building, our new building won't seat 900 people with two services. We have trouble right here in River City. I'm here to tell you. But the worst thing that could ever happen is we go, yeah, 900 people on Easter. We're not even three years old. This is good. We're amazing. The worst thing we can do is get satisfied because there's a lot of people. And it be the just Christians coming. It be not people that are lost. And that we get to enjoying what we have and it's exciting. And, you know, we have services like we did uh, last week where they're really exciting and they're really cool. We're going to do some amazing. When we get in our building, we're going to do a series called God at the Movies. Oh, it's, it's just amazing. Well, you take a different movie. We're going to decorate the whole place, maybe like Finding Nemo. And you take a different movie and you use different excerpts and you, uh, you, you talk about it from that movie. We're going to do a series called I Want a New Marriage. We're going to do such well. We're going to do a series next October called Monster. We're going to end it up on Halloween having a thing called Monster Mash, where I'm going to have the monster energy, energy drink people there. I'm going to bring in a couple of monster trucks. We're going to smash cars in the parking lot. It's just going to be exciting to come to Stonebrook. And it already is. But the worst thing that could ever happen is we lose sight of, the, of what Jesus gave us the commission to do is to leave the 99. In order to to do what the heart of God is, at some point you have to, the 99 that are already in, you have to not listen to what they want anymore and say the important thing is there's one lost. I was raised in church. I've been involved in ministry my entire life. Church people get to the place where they don't care about the ones that are lost because they're having so hard a time keeping the ones that are in the fold happy. And they're afraid they're going to jump out of the fence and run away. And they're sort of maybe even fighting among each other. And they, and they get to trying to satisfy the 99. And they figure that one that's lost, he, it's too hard. It's hard to reach people that do not want to know who Jesus is. It's hard. Our, our target market, here's our job. If we're a business, let's act like we're a business. Our target market is people that do not want what we're selling. They think that what we're selling is something entirely different than we're selling. And we have to take a group of people that don't want to have anything to do with them and take this people and convince them that they want what these people have. It's hard. But we're going to focus on that because this is what Jesus said to do. So, search for one that is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. And my thing isn't moving again, so I just have to watch the screen back there. When he arrives, he'll call together his friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, because I've found my lost sheep. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven. This is how you make heaven celebrate over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. If you want to make God happy, Jesus is saying, if you want to know where God's heart is, this is where it is. Like I said, just being a big church is not the goal. I guess right and just, yeah, just go to the next one. I'll, I'll see what it is. This is sort of fun. I should preach sometime. Just you guys make the slides, and whatever comes up there, I'll just preach on it. Wouldn't that be exciting? This is what this morning is. Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Won't she light a light and sweep the entire house and search carefully? Until she finds it, 
In other words, you have to focus on what you've lost. And when she finds it, she'll call in her friends and neighbors and say, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. And once again, in the same way, there's joy in the presence of God's angel. angels when even one sinner repents. Now, to illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. Now, Brian, I'm going to have you skip over a bunch of slides in a minute, so hang on. He's about to tell the story of what we call the prodigal son. And we always, in church, focus on the younger son that is lost. That's what we talked about last week. But that's not the point of the story. Jesus is telling this story because of whom? What? The Pharisees. The reason he's telling all three of these stories is because the church people are upset because Jesus is hanging and focusing on the wrong people. So Jesus is trying to explain to the church folk. And he says that there's a younger son. The younger son goes away and he spends his money with prostitutes, riotous living. He parties. He's a party animal. He loses it all. And the Pharisees, while he's telling the story, are thinking, yeah, good enough for him. He should have stayed with God. And Jesus says, well, that guy comes back and the father immediately welcomes him back and they have a huge, huge party. And then, after they have that party, I think there's, the scripture says, and so the party began. But the next verse says this. Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. Where was the older son? In the fields working. Now let me ask you a question, just right here. The older son represents the Pharisees, the church people. He was in the fields working. Jesus tells three stories. The first story, there's a sheep that's lost and someone goes and looks for it until they find it. In the second story, there's a woman that loses a coin and she goes and looks for it until she finds it. Jesus tells a third story and says there's a lost son. What would you expect? There should be somebody in the story that goes and looks for him, right? Does anybody go and look for him? No. Because the older son was in the field working. The elder son should have said to the father, because when that younger son said to his father, look, dad, you won't die soon enough. I want the inheritance, but you won't die. When he says, divide the inheritance, give me my part of the inheritance, he's saying to the father, I wish you were dead. It destroys the father's heart, but the father gives him his part of the inheritance. A few days later, the son leaves. He doesn't want anything to do with the father. He just wants his stuff. The father's heart is broken. It destroys him. The elder son, Jesus is trying to tell the Pharisees, the elder son should have said to the father, I see this is tearing you up. Don't worry. I'll go find him. But he doesn't. He's in the field working. When he returns home, he heard music and dancing. Can you say that with me? Music and dancing. Would you like to do something strange in church? I mean, that would be so different here. Why don't you stand up just for a minute? Just stand up. I mean, you don't have to participate, but stand up if, if, you, if you want to. Hey, Tyler, you got any music? What do you got? Give me something like... Um, Sometimes you play that Black Crow song. That's really cool. Just whatever you have. Would you, have you ever just wanted to dance? Now see, I'm not talking the church, churchy kind of dance. And so you don't have to do this. Because I'm probably not going to. I just want to give you the opportunity. You got, a, you got a song, Tyler? Are you awake, Tyler? No. We're having church here, Tyler. I would hate to be a sound man. Let's all look at him. Judgingly. What's the matter with you? You got any music? Get some music. You don't have anything, do you? You want to dance? Why don't you dance? Right there. There you go. Come on. You got it. Where's some of the kids? Baby, here I am. I'm a man on the scene. This is the Black Crow. Jose, nice move. You, what you, want, but you, got to come home and you guys got nothing. You guys got nothing. Okay, that's enough. Sit down. 
I just thought you might want to dance. Now, this, th one of the reasons that I believe in Jesus is because of the story of the prodigal son. It's brilliant. It's beautiful. There's so much hidden meaning in it, just in this real simple story. This right here, the elder son who represents the Pharisees comes home and hears music and dancing in the house. Pharisees, their mama don't dance and their daddy don't rock and roll. You know what I'm saying? They are used to, if we're going to hang around God, it's going to be very somber, it's going to be, be very sober. We want you to leave our church service feeling very guilty about yourself. It shouldn't be happy, it shouldn't be exciting. You should know what a low life you are. And here's a list of things that you might work on to someday reach a point where you could be approved by the Father, but there will be no music and there will be no dancing. The elder comes home, and there's a party going on in the house. So, next verse. I have no idea what it is. And he asked one of the servants what was going on. And the servant said, they're having church in your house. Your brother is back, he was told, and your father has killed the fattened calf. Now, and we are celebrating a safe return. Like we said last week, the father divided his inheritance between the younger son and the older son. The younger son has spent it all. So who owns the fattened calf? The older son, the Pharisee, they're eating his calf. Now, we say all the time, I said it last week, we had people that stepped across the line of faith last week who were far from God and came home last week, just like the story. And we always say grace and salvation is free, but it's not. It's free to the younger son, but somebody had to pay for the party. It cost this older son something. This is why it's so hard to have church the way that Jesus said to have it. It's because us older sons that have been in church all our life, we have to give up some things that we like. We have to give up, well, this is the way that I like the church to be. But if we do church that way, they're not going to understand what we're doing. So you're going to have to give up some things. It, Jesus is saying to them, it's going to cost the elder son something for this to happen. They've killed the fattened calf, and we are celebrating his safe return. Let's see what the next slide says. Now, the older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. It's amazing since we started Stonebrook, there, there's been, like I said, it's hard. And I don't mind. It's hard. It's just the way it is. But the hardness hasn't been from the younger brothers, from the unchurched people. Unchurched people come up to me after church, and they're crying. They say, I, I was raised in church, and I always felt like I was a failure. I felt like God didn't love me. And I've discovered the last two weeks that he actually likes me and I have accepted him back into my life, and I've never felt more loved and welcomed ever. It's the church people that get angry because, well, I don't, your doctrine, and the Bible says, and you're supposed to. For example, let me give something. This is just something that comes to mind. Um, there is, there is a, a pastor that several years ago, his name is Rob Bell, and he wrote a book Oddly enough, with recent events, it's called Love Wins. And in that book, he proposed the idea. Now look, I don't, I don't agree with this idea, okay? He proposed the idea that perhaps there wasn't a hell. Anybody know of this book by Rob Bell? See, our churches, we have people that uh, don't care about such things. <laughs> but it was such a big stir in in Christian circles, in church circles, and people, oh, the, the vitriolic comments about Rob Bell and he's a heretic and he's leading people astray because he just proposed the idea that perhaps the things Jesus said about hell as they were figurative and, and there are some points, I disagree with him, but, and people, elder brothers, Christians, church people were angry because he was proposing that perhaps God loved people so much that he weren't, wouldn't, uh, you know, put them in hell for eternity. And people would get angry about that. 
And, you know, what do you, ask me, what do you think about that? Now, my thought is this. I hope he's right. Don't you? Now, those of you that are Christians, been in church a long time, I want you to just marinate in that for a minute. If somebody says, well, I don't think there's a hell, and your first thought is anger, I hope there isn't a hell. Don't you? And you say that to some Christians, and they're like, well, I don't know. In fact, because I heard, I remember this Facebook post so clearly. I went, oh, that's the way we church people are. They were talking about these people, they were talking about people that were atheists. And I have so many atheist friends, my favorite people in the world to talk to. I've actually had a couple that are no longer my atheist friends. They're my Jesus follower friends. But I, I have, I like to, I love atheists. I love to talk with them. Especially ones, there's a couple atheists that I have ongoing conversations. I think they know the Bible better than I do. They actually read it. That's one reason I love to talk to them. Because I'll mention something and they don't go, huh? I, never, I didn't know that was in there. But anyway, um, what was I talking about? <laughs> atheist friends. No hell. Facebook post. That's what it was. Okay. And they were saying, they were talking about atheists and they don't believe in God. And, we're, and this, this person said this. And whether or not you believe in the rapture, we're going to talk about that starting July 19th. But they said, I hope that I'm next to one of them when the rapture happens so I can see the look on their face as I go up. Now, what's wrong with this picture? I hope, number one, if there is a rapture, that I can grab him real quick and at about 100 feet say, do you want to pray or do I let go? No, I don't think that's scriptural there. But, <laughs> but the idea that as you're going up, you get to say, nanny, nanny, boo-boo? <laughs> yeah, you should have listened to me? That's not the heart of God. Now, I believe there is a hell. But I hope there's not. And that's where elder brothers, they get angry when they see, especially they, a church starts saying, oh no, you can come on in. Jesus drove religious people crazy. He walked up to people and said, hey you, tax collector, follow me. And the rest of his disciples are like, no, 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 he's a tax collector. He's the lowest of the low. He can't be with us. And Jesus says, no, he can't. Well, he has to fill out this application. He has to go through a screening process. No, he doesn't. Just all you have to do is join. Come on, here we go. That makes older brothers angry when you start having younger brothers come home and the father just says, oh yeah, bring him the best robe, put a ring on his finger, let's have a party. And the elder brothers are going, time out! Jesus is trying to change the church people's mind. He was angry and he wouldn't go in and his father came out, came out and begged him. Now let me, let me, I'm going to confess. This is pastoral confession time. Here is where I have been wrong in the past, and sometimes this is what I struggle with the most. We are called as a, as a church. This is where I, I probably need to adjust the way we do things. And I've seen it more and more, and it's hard for me to explain. We are a church for people that don't like church. We are going to focus on those that are lost to create a place that they will feel welcome and comfortable to attend. But what we're not going to do is become religious about that and think that we are better than people that don't see things our way. There are lots of other churches that think that's the wrong way to do things, that are very traditional, very standard and religious. But here the Father doesn't say, well, if you're going to be angry, just forget it. We're going to hear a party. You stay out there. You religious thing, you. You don't, you don't know what the true heart of God is. No, the Father goes out Jesus here is not being pharisaical with the Pharisees. Jesus isn't being self-righteous with the self-righteous. He's inviting them lovingly and kindly. The Father goes out. This is God. This is a picture of God. The Father goes out and begs him. He says this to him. And we begged him to come in. But the older son, how much time do I have? What time is it? I think my clock is wrong. Isn't this the time we normally get out of church? My clock says I have 20 minutes. 
I was doing so good. I thought I was ahead of schedule. Okay, I have to stop. Oh, I have so many good things to say. <laughs> I don't know why anybody would ever come to this church, actually. <laughs> what are people doing? You just have nothing better to do, do you? What we're going to do is receive communion. I honestly, I can show you. See, it says I have 19 minutes and 5 seconds left. Right there. This iPad's not working. That's what the problem is. Okay. It is. It's possessed. Um, throw up another random slide while they're bringing communion. Bring out the communion. We'll receive communion really quickly. By the way, we have never received communion, as far as I know, on a Sunday morning. If you're, if you're sort of new with this, uh, it's simply a piece of bread. We actually have real bread, not the little crackers that taste like cardboard, and um, a little container of grape juice. And it simply represents the body and blood of Jesus that he, uh, he sacrificed for us on the cross. But it's a symbol of the meal that we have when, we, when we're saying, I, I, I want to belong to this family. It's just like if, I, if we invited you over for a big Christmas dinner. It's not, you don't have to be sort of somber and sober about it. You don't have to be baptized a certain way or live a sinless life to receive communion. No. Jesus' blood and body is for everybody. And this is a symbol. Jesus said, as, as often as you do this, remember me that I'm the one that has caused you to be one together in a family. So uh, they're going to pass that through there. Put that uh, slide up there again, Brian. That was a good one. This is what we said from the beginning. And this is the message that Jesus had to the Pharisees of his days. It's really not about you. It's, it's about the you next to you. That's where the Father's heart is. Were there any questions that came in, Brian, that are really good? You have any really good questions come in? You'll have to put them up there and I'll have to... What did Jesus... Oh, that, that's, that'll take me three weeks to answer that question. You got another one? That's all you got, right? Well, that'll get me off the subject too. You want me to jump? Okay, and I'm sorry for keeping you longer. I, I honestly thought I had more time. Uh, when we receive this in a moment, when everybody gets it, um, I, you don't have to do this, but I always like to take the bread and break it. just reminds me that Jesus' body was broken for me. And then, if you've already taken it, that's fine, but the rest of us will just receive it together at the same time. It's just a way of us saying, we want, we want to be like Jesus, and we believe we're all part of the same family together. What did Jesus feel about owning a weapon and self-defense? You don't even want to know what I think about that. I'm not even sure what I think about that. I, I think Jesus is fine with it. Um, in one sense... It's one of the things I've struggled with. I better not even start. I own lots of weapons. So either I think it's okay or I'm, in, I'm rebelling against him. But I do know... See, this is where... This, this is what I love about our church, by the way. There's, there's all kinds of things that I, I haven't figured out. I'm not someone that stands up here and saying I have all the answers. You have an issue with Jesus saying, you need to love your enemies. Do good to those that uh, curse you. Pray for them that despisefully use you and persecute you. He didn't say, shoot them. He said, to love them. I also know that the early church, they changed the world. This will just give you something to either be confused about or think on for a couple of weeks. The early church, do you know how the early church changed the world? How they they overthrew the Roman Empire, basically, without a single vote. Within 300 years of, three, 350 years of the time of Jesus' death and resurrection, the Roman Empire had been revolutionized by Christianity. They didn't even have a vote. They didn't have a senator to go to. Do you know how they changed it? Anybody? Want to take a guess? What? No, the Crusades is much later. Oh, i got to do a series on this now. 
the way that the earliest church, the first 300, 400 years, the way they changed the world was they died gracefully. Doesn't that make you want to be a Christian? They didn't resist. They were killed, they were persecuted, they were thrown to the lions, and they sang hymns, and they said, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. And they died, just the way that their leader, Jesus, did. Jesus, instead of vanquishing his enemies, climbed up on a cross and died for them. That doesn't make anybody happy, does it? Okay, but I still think it's all right if you have a gun. It's okay. All right, let's receive communion. Go ahead and you can receive the bread, which is the body of Jesus. And of course, the cup, which represents his blood. I want to pray for us and we'll be dismissed. Father, today was a weird service. Mainly my fault, I'm sure. But um, I just think the people that come here, Lord, are, are amazing. And I'm grateful that you've allowed us to do this hard thing of, of being partnered with you in, in creating a church. Jesus, you said that the thing that you would do is you would build your church. The local church is what you're using to show who you are and your love to the world. I ask that you stir deep in every heart of every person that's here, Lord, that we focus our energy and attention on those that are, that are lost, that are away from the Father's house, that we adjust whatever we have to in our desires, the way we want to do things, that we serve, that we give, that we love, just like Jesus did. Use us, Lord, to, to draw people to you, and we trust you to change them and, and make them who you want them to be. We love you. We give ourselves to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for hanging out, guys. Be here next week, and uh, we'll continue on with the summer of love at Stonebrook. See ya. We're going to do this thing. Well, come on, then.